from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Welcome to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos with Dave and DB. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am one of your hosts, D.B. Spitzer. And to my virtual right, Farmer Dave, David Heath. How the heck is it going? It is going hot and cold in the Pacific Northwest. Yes. Yeah, no, no. It it it, it snowed, it froze over, and now it's like... Almost fifty degrees outside. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's it's a it's a halfway decent sunny day out. <laughs> you know, my, my friends and I'm not sure where they got it, but my friends in beautiful Ventura County, California, right on the coast, uh-huh. sent me photographs of snow on the beach. Oh wow. Which hadn't happened since like sometime in the forties. Yeah, I was so, gonna say pioneer days probably, but yeah, the forties, that sounds about right. Yeah. So Oh, well, it is the world that we live in. Yep, yep, yeah. All right. So I hear the goats are doing well. Some cows visited the other day. Yes, we did have a couple of random cows come by. <laughs> and they uh, they decided they were going to help themselves to the goats' blackberries. And the goats were very disturbed. Because think of it from a, you know, from a, a goat's perspective. Yeah. I don't think they ever saw a cow. Yeah, no, no. It's like, Maybe. what do they think cows are? Just giant goats? <laughs> it's like, it's like cows are like the the goat version of Sasquatch, <laughs> and it left huge, giant, like six inch hoof prints. Yeah, huh? <laughs> what have you been drinking on the those fermented apples again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. So yeah goat, goat, cows are kind of like, um, but the, but they're kind of like the the goat version of Sasquatch, but uh. These uh these uh satch cows or whatever you want to call them there sure, they're sure. back at their their uh, their owner. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Good to hear. Yep, things here are going pretty well. Uh, I've been goofing around with my uh AnyCube uh 3D printer, printing up rings, masks, uh action figures, miniatures for Dungeons and Dragons and just having a good time. Our 
sponsor is any cube and I, I i i went with them because i got such a great deal i don't know if that deal's going on but if you check in the show notes click on any cube they might have a deal going on right now so so let's let's phrase this correctly all right any cube is a is a company yeah and we su- is a company out of shenzhen china that makes 3D printers, resin printers, and also is a supplier of filament and resin for 3D printers. Well, and but don't go around just pushing any old cube. No. Select any cube, the company, not any old cube, or you'll be in, stuck in some sort of horror movie. Certainly, certainly. Gelatinous cube? Yes. That'd be bad. Or uh, the cube from Cube? The, yes. Or the Rubik's Cube from the cartoon Rubik's Cube? Yes. (laughs) So select on links of any cube. Yeah, yeah. Uh, In the show notes, along with Y Cosplay, California, T-Shop, and everyone else. But yeah. Yeah, so uh, we're going to be talking about two things and talking to one person. Uh, The two things that we're talking about today is the... I believe one of the main cities of the Yithians, and the other is uh, a movie about a cabin in the woods that isn't Evil Dead or mm, Evil Dead it? Too. That sounds interesting. <laughs> what is the title of the movie? Why it's Cabin in the Woods. Oh wow! Title drop. Title drop. <laughs> title drop. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know if there is a titular line in that movie where they go, "Well, here we are at a cabin in the woods," but it, it wouldn't surprise me. But we'll get into that in a yeah. bit. All right. So today we're talking about Nakotis, the uh, the I, I want to call it like the capital city or maybe the library city of the Yithians, as as best as we can tell from uh, what is it, Whispers in Darkness or Shadows. Out of time or shadows out of time. Shadows out of time. Okay. And, and I think it may be so. That's the only one where we really see it. Yeah. I think it may appear. And, and so here's the sort of the the interesting thing about it. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was thinking about it. Getting ready. It's almost. It's almost like a fort. Yeah. It's a, it's underground, so it's not like like we think of a fort. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the it's a, or a way station. It's yep. this moment in time that the Yithians can operate out of and be protected from the, the flying polyps. But, yeah, and so it's, it's sort of, I don't know if there's an English or an Earth word that sort of, you know, sort of matches what it is. I think almost like a, a base camp. I was going to say. A base camp of time. Uh, the, the 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 Fremen word for uh uh like base like they're uh they had the stills or like I'm trying to remember what they're called but like the Fremen had something that were their underground bases where yeah you know the they could if they're wandering they could find these but they were also like permanent settlements anyway um. Stitch? I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, no, that's what I've always thought of these as, is these 
big underground kind of like settlement things where they can do like ceremonial stuff or maybe it's a library it's kind of like um like that big archaeological discovery right on the border of turkey Turkey, Yeah. yeah. yeah the underground city yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't think had been discovered in Lovecraft's lifetime, or if it had, had not been really published in America. No, 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 no. Uh, the, uh, the city I'm thinking of didn't really become a thing of... Anyway, I, we're not talking about stuff that I vaguely remember. Uh, we're talking about stuff that I vaguely uh, know about. Uh, the Nicotic, uh manuscripts come from this place. It's... Uh, why they're they're referred to as the Nicotic manuscripts is because they come from Nicotis. And it is, you know, as we uh, theorized last time, some sort of collection of knowledge that the Yithians use, but also possibly a way that the Yithians teach outsiders uh, a, a base language that they can all use to record the history of like what's going on as far as I can tell in the solar system, because there's all kinds of creatures whose minds have been switched with a Yithian agent. And then that job, person's job is to record everything from their history that they remember while the Yithian scouts around and looks at stuff. Yes. 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 So so it's a depository. It, it, it's definitely a depository. Yeah. Um, so here's the part that I find we get just a little bit of what is described. Sure. And it's this huge underground vaulted with just super high, large cathedral ceilings. So let's assume, and maybe he didn't, that Lovecraft has this plan. And he didn't have just some dream or vision, you know, I don't mean vision, vision, but sort of just this idea of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And he's describing something cool. Here's the question. When the Yithians are in this form, they're in their plant form, right? That sort yeah. Of, mm-hmm. How tall are they? They're like, I want to say they're like nine or 12 feet tall, something like yeah. that, if I am not mistaken. But But aren't the vaulted roofs like 30 or 40 feet? Yes. So why do they build it that large? <laughs> no, and, and I'm not just saying this. I'm not trying to poke holes. I'm, I'm actually oh, yeah, going to sure. try to give Lovecraft some credit here. Yeah. And that maybe, I, I mean, <clears throat> he loved this story. Sure. Um, and maybe we'll go on a little bit about where, how we got the version that we did in okay. Shadow Out of Time. Sure. But let's say, why this nine to twelve foot creatures? Why are they living in this huge 40-foot thing? Is it aesthetics? Do they want this sort of fake roof? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are they expected... Do they have a different type of body? Maybe this is only the type of bodies that Peasley saw. Yeah. Maybe they have huge... So, I mean, there's a lot of, I think, play in this, in this idea. I mean, us humans, we build up for space and for prestige. So yeah. is this a prestige thing among the people, among the Yithians? Look, we could build, because it takes, even with their super science, it takes a bit to dig underground and build yeah. underground. People tend to just do 
barely get just enough. I mean, if if you've been in underground places, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it tends to be that are man-made. They, they make it as, you know, small enough to get the job done. Sure. So why do we have these huge vaulted ceilings? And Lovecraft never tells us. Maybe Lovecraft never thought about it. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, you know, maybe he did. And even if he did, you know, or didn't, you know, we can think about it. Oh, yeah. No, I, I always assumed it was Yithian aesthetics that dealt with Yithian biology or it was left over from another race that they had taken over at some point in time in Earth's past. Very or possible. it was even an elder uh, an elder things uh, like temple or outpost that the Ithians just took over. And while we're talking about elder things, I think flying polyps are a different type of shoggoth that the elder things used as a bioweapon. And it definitely could be. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my personal theory. <laughs> and if we still have elder things and shoggoths around, I mean, and uh, they they uh, thought they heard like uh, flying polyps in uh, the uh, the the uh, ruins of Nakotis, but yeah, yeah. So as and I realize we're probably jumping gears here. Oh but yeah. Do you, do you know what my favorite description of Nakotis comes from? Oh no, what's that? A TV show called The Forty Four Hundred. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, vaguely. vaguely. Okay. So, and and I didn't don't know exactly how the series ends, but there are people that are disappeared and seem to be time travelers or something. Uh-huh. And it had an episode in a mental hospital with a character played by Summer Glau. Okay. Who is, you know, on Firefly and The Cape and every every cool cancel science fiction show has Summer Glau in it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And she's talking about how she gets sucked in time. And she describes it. That she's the only one that remembers it and describes these vaulted buildings and everything. Well, the team's nerd realizes halfway through the show, she's quoting Lovecraft. Now, in this, Lovecraft is a character, and in this, the, the um, you know, Shadows Out of Time is a printed book as we have it. Mm-hmm. And he caught it. I didn't catch it in this episode. But he realizes it's not that she's making it up, but she's there's a copy. In fact, I noticed that she's got, like, one of the Del Rey copies of the book. Uh-huh. So when she's describing what the other side of time is, it's not that she's making it up. She's just crazy and imprinting on the story of Lovecraft, and he name drops the story and Lovecraft. Yeah, okay. So huh. I think I, that's one of my favorite reference. So it's an actual reference of the book and of the fictitious place in a fictitious TV show. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so no, I, I, uh, I really, maybe that's something maybe I should try to sit down, and I think they finally did wrap up the series. Uh-huh. But, um, uh, but this whole idea that somebody is kidnapping and replacing people and then bringing them back from time is, is very Lovecraftian. And yeah. I love that shout out, shout out. All right. All right. Yeah, no, no. Uh, Nakotis. I, I feel like you could use it for a lot of different things yeah. in your stories, in your RPGs, poems. 
uh, sculpture, whatnot. Uh, yeah. And one else, other place we see it is, oh, is sure. in a video game, um, Dark Corners of the Earth. Or Dark oh, yeah. Corners of the World. We get some sort of glances that the main character has, I believe, multi-times been kidnapped by the Yithians. So there we get a very beautiful sort of uh, rendition of what what it would look like. Okay. Huh. Well, that's cool. That's very cool stuff. But yeah, no, um, I was saying you could use it for an RPG, uh, like, or, or, or a story. You don't have to use it like the one in Australia. You could have another, I don't know, like, like treat it like a temple or treat it like an outpost, like we said before, and have it in like, highest parts of the Rockies or maybe uh, low water in the Gulf of Mexico or what were you saying? The moon. The moon. Yeah. There's a good one. <laughs> no, but I, I, I like this idea of like Yithian uh, buildings being in places being uh, like, you know, much like the, Elder Things City at the uh, South Pole, which I don't know if it even has a name, but <laughs> um, I, I like calling it the City of the Elder Things. But yeah, yeah, no, it's it's like it could be something that's like hidden up in the mountains of the Himalayas, and like, or it could be, um, I don't know. Uh, buried underground, and the only way to access it is a tin mine in Wales. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or it could be even right where you are, but because it's in four dimensions, it only appears once in a while. Oh, I like that. Kind of brigadoon going on. Or maybe it's why people disappear in the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or we could go quarter mass in the pit and find it in a... Uh, I don't know, uh, 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 I don't know, in, in a subway system that's being repaired under London or... Uh, the Shanghai Tunnels in Portland. Yeah, Shanghai Tunnels in Portland. Or what if we go with the uh, subway system in New York or the uh, catacombs of Paris? Any place, you know, chthonic, deep yes. underground, spookily dookily. I mean, that's it's we don't really know what they had. I mean, I think dinosaurs may have messed it all up, but <laughs> no, Maybe. Uh, I, I, I believe uh, something that happened 65 million years ago messed up uh, Yithian civilization, possibly. But that's a theory of mine. Yeah, no, I think that that's there is a lot of different options and the you know uh chaosium has released a a book on yithians of short stories uh-huh uh-huh and we see yithians come up a little bit in some of the delta green stuff yeah that's true but i i think it's really is an untapped uh, i mean untapped uh area of of projects and people writing i mean Oh, There's yeah. a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of Yithian stories I don't think have been told yet. Sure, certainly, certainly. And I feel like Yithians are one of those 
groups that you can use in other types of RPGs easily. Like you could have a Yithian agent in Shadowrun, in Cyberpunk. You could encounter... I've used them in D&D. I was going to say you could encounter a Yithian agent or an actual like Yithian uh, 12 feet tall, vegetable arms and all. And uh, yeah, no, just be like, oh, wait a minute. You guys aren't from around here. And they're all like, blah, 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 blah. Because I, I, I just kind of feel like Yithians might be the kinds that are like, we're really kind of xenophobic and uh, not very friendly, but we're also kind of fragile, kind of flimsy in some ways. So they would probably have some sort of like mechanical devices or biomechanical devices to defend themselves. Just a guess, just a guess. Yeah, de definitely. And we can also sort of maybe, I mean, if you're writing and or, um, you know, doing role playing games, explore the different forms. We know, mm -hmm. you know, they take humans. We assume that they take all sort of maybe intelligence races. Yeah. Uh, their original form or energy matter that they thought, mm -hmm. uh, then the plants, and then the uh, the cockroach, the intelligent cockroaches. So yeah. I think there's a lot of different races that could be taken over by them. Sure, certainly, certainly. You know, what's what's going to happen when your Yithian possesses this body? And oops, it's a vampire. And how does the Yithian deal with this desire for their blood? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or you could have a battle over a planet that your characters already live on and their, mm -hmm. you know, races like uh, humans or like fantasy races or whatever you want to use your base race for your... RPG, story setting, whatever, you have Yithians show up, and then out of nowhere you have Elder Things show up and being like, no, we've been here, this is our planet, you guys gotta go. And then, you know, whoever the base race is, is like, what about us? And they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. We're okay that you're here. Don't worry about it. These guys gotta go. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna take us all over, they're gonna wipe our minds and take over our planet. <laughs> Absolutely, and and I think I I think it's the same thing that the flying polyps are just not. This Lovecraft never explored them. No, no, and except for occasional enemies in role playing games, sure, they they aren't really really re researched or come up across. No, no. And I don't know, um, I could be wrong. I've always found uh, or thought of Yithians as being like physically imposing, but flimsy, like physically, um, just because they're plant life and you could probably hurt them. But then again, they could be like Swamp Thing. I don't know. <laughs> and if you don't know why Swamp Thing is a bad idea to mess with, uh, look up Swamp Thing. I we we yeah we we'll, we'll cover that when we cover Swamp Thing, <laughs> the film, uh, which should be coming up probably in the next couple months. I'm thinking. Uh, I think so. Yeah, Unless think of can... course you're a Yithian and yeah. you've already listened it and jumped back in time to listen to this one. Yep, because it was so good. Anyway, but yeah, um, anything else? Oh, you were going to talk about uh, the publication history. 
Yeah, so um, the thing that I, I think that's sort of interesting is um, uh, jo- S.T. Joshi actually reprinted the, the original text. Yeah. And when Lovecraft passed away, his the original version went to Robert Barlow. Okay. Who took it to Mexico because I, I'm not sure if our audience would know this, but Barlow was during the 50s was one of the top experts in uh, South American pictograms. Yeah. And he taught at a university in, in Mexico and he had a really for such a brilliant person, he had a tragic life and he got to a position where he felt that he had to take his own life. I'm sorry uh, to hear that. Absolutely. And and again, I, I think it's only fair, you know, to say that anybody listening to this by any chance that does feel like that, by all means, reach out to somebody, even us, because there are so many things now and there are so many resources. But he felt he was in a situation he could not. Uh, and so his his books or Lovecraft's original writings basically set, laid on his sister's attic for decades. Yeah. And she was, of course, very disturbed. Well, I mean, of course, she was disturbed. And her brother's death was very painful to her. Absolutely. But as she began to get older, she began to thinking about her brother's legacy. Mm-hmm. And so she reached out and including the, some of the things that she brought to academics was the original draft of uh, Shadow Out of Time. Oh, and man. so you can, and I have picked up, get a annotated copy of the original way that Lovecraft had written it. Hmm. Um, and, and there's not drastic changes, but you did get, I think, I'd see a little bit more of Lovecraft's writing. It's less watered down. Okay. Interesting. Um, so I, it's definitely, and, and, you know, I paid for a small book that's in public domain. It might feel like kind of expensive. I think I paid like 15 bucks. All right. But it's definitely worth it. If you're a Lovecraft fan and especially wanted unadulterated Lovecraftian uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. writing. It's definitely worth it if you can pick up a copy. Oh, yeah. I have to say, I have to say, this is a total total off-road from everything we've been talking about. If this is just me saying to everyone, and I, I feel you say, I feel the same way, Dave. Mm-hmm. If you have a chance to pick up and purchase and it doesn't matter what copy it is, honestly, in my opinion... Uh, of 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 collections of H.P. Lovecraft. Just make sure it doesn't say with August Derleth. Just collections of H.P. Lovecraft. If you can find it in books, there's the Penguin. There's the Del Rey. I'm sure Tor did some. Tor, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was also going to say Arkham House. And those those ones are the ones that are the 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 super pricey ones are the Arkham House ones. And then there's also collections from various people. You can find them online. I believe Chaosium has some stuff. Uh, Hippocampus Press has stuff. Hippocampus Press has amazing amounts of stuff. And 
here's the thing. If you can get your hands on a physical copy, it's nice to read. Audiobooks are wonderful. I love audiobooks when I'm out doing stuff. I'm not always the one who wants to read pages and pages and pages on a computer screen, but I'll do it. I'll read stuff off of a tablet, Kindle, whatnot. But holding the book in your hands, it's it's just it's it's different. And it's 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 the way that it was originally intended. And sometimes reading media in the way that it was intended is really good. And a lot of people say, well, reading a book, there's not much difference except for you get to smell the book and you feel the paper and that's about it. Well, for me, those two senses, very important especially with Lovecraft, being able to smell the book. <laughs> and abso- absolutely. And, and with me, who have terrible, you know, ADD, it helps to maybe read and listen to it at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to throw out a, a, another publisher that you can get these pretty inexpensive, or at least you could, mm-hmm. that, again, I love the annotation and the write-up is Penguin. Oh, yeah. Penguin Classics. Uh, again, it's Joshi who does the um, uh, the notations and the the forewords. So that's a really good uh, trade paperback, so they're rather inexpensive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But especially if it's you're just, you know, you're just dipping your toes in the Lovecraft water, that's a, a really good copy. And like I said, the trade paperback. So uh, they're pretty inexpensive. Yeah. And if you're like me and Dave and you want to pursue a more scholarly pursuit when it comes to Lovecraft, I have to highly, highly, highly recommend Leslie S. Klinger's. Uh, uh, co- it's a collection of uh, uh, yeah. captioned uh, com- uh, 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 annotated. Love- annotated. Thank you. I was like uh, Lovecraft with footnotes. But yeah, very, very detailed, like. Ken Height, Leslie S. Klinger, uh, S.T. Joshi level study of Lovecraft. And it's all put out there in loving detail. And I highly recommend it. I have it on my shelf. I can't quite reach it to tell you what's in it, but there's so many good stories in there. And Mm -hmm. also, I I definitely have to say uh, another great thing. If you really want to get into the Cthulhu mythos and get into the weeds, Ken Height has multiple books about yes. Tour to Lovecraft, and uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, like the the last two I mentioned, I, I I feel like are in the upper upper expert level. You know, you can like listen to audiobooks and read the movies and watch the comic books and all that kind of fun stuff, and then it's like different layers, almost like Sandy Peterson's. Uh, 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 metaphor of the onion, not the metaphor, eh, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> uh, and, and absolutely, you... yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but both Leslie and Ken, yes, they are at least what I would consider academic level, yeah. But at the same point, they are very, um, they're written so that the average person can understand. Oh, certainly. certainly. And does it take any way, thing away from their research or, or their opinions or thoughts? Um, it's just, uh, it's not formal academic writing that might scare you off. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it is nice. Although, um, I will say at times Joshi can do that, get a little bit in the weeds, but this isn't Joshi. Um, there's also a really good book uh, by Michael Walbeck uh, about H.P. Lovecraft and Stephen King comparing the two. Mm. Yeah, um, I read it a billion years ago. I don't remember how accurate it is regarding H.P. Lovecraft's life, but um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, enough of this H.P. Lovecraft uh, recommendation book club thing that we don't normally do, but those are some ones that I wanted to kick out this week. So speaking of people who uh, know all kinds of stuff, uh, you're talking to one of my favorite uh Facebook guitarists, uh, Gary Hill. Yes, I am. And we're going to be talking about movies and Lovecraft and other things. Very cool. Very, very cool. All right. Uh, after the break, uh, Dave and I will be talking about Cabin in the Woods. And we'll see you after that, everyone. <laughs> spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. I want to tell you all about something. I want to tell you about a guy I know. In a place. This is Dave's Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome. It's gonna go fast. It's not the interview pod. Ha ha. Ha ha. It's not the pod where DB talks forever, ever, ever. No, it's Dave's Corner And now we've reached the time of the show where I talk to somebody whose initials are not DB. And today we have Gary Hill, and it's been a while since we've had you, so welcome back. Thank you. I'm always glad to come back to the show. This is this is a really fun show, and I enjoy coming out here. Well, th well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, we might get interrupted by Ralph today, the rooster. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, just for our uh, listeners, uh, maybe uh, if you could just uh, introduce yourself again. 
Okay, so um, I'm Gary Hill, and um, I suppose for Lovecraft folks, a lot of Lovecraft people might very well know me for, uh, I don't know if you can see the, well, no, the, you're, this isn't actually going to be video, but you can see the cover back there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Strange Sound of Cthulhu, uh, music inspired by the writings of H.P. Lovecraft, which I wrote in 2006, and uh, I've heard from a lot of people around the world about that that book, and um uh, uh, S.T. Joshi actually called it one of the most interesting books he's ever read, which mm. he did the foreword for me, which I thought was pretty cool for coming from him. But anyway, beyond that, I do Music Street Journal, and also I run Tales of Wonder and Dread Publishing and do Spooky Ventures, where I do a lot of reviews and, and interviews and all kinds of things. So, Well, well thank you for making time to be uh, be on our show. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. Seriously, you guys do great stuff, and I'm glad to be on here. Well, thank you. So I got a, a sort of a, a started question for you. You know, a lot of people, you know, just taken to, you know, movies and TV during uh, the lockdown. You know, has there been any really good or maybe even, uh, you know, Lovecraftian or cosmic horror shows that you've seen during, during, the, the, during the lockdown? So I'm trying to remember back to the lockdown because that's actually been a little while now and everybody yeah. seems to be out of it. I'm personally not because I've got autoimmune disorders and it's like I don't really care to be out amongst people too much amongst this. But for everybody else, it seems to be sort of over. But um, I remember, I think it was during the lockdown, we tried to watch Lovecraft Country and I really did not enjoy that show. I know a lot of people have loved it. But there was too much anachronism in there for me. Mm. Um, you know, there was a lot of music that didn't fit the time period and everything. And it just sort of kept pulling me out of it. I, I found it very hard to get into it. I did like seeing Cthulhu, but beyond that, it was like, eh, I don't really, it didn't really grab me. Um, but and, and the, the book is actually one of the, I think, the best books written in the 21st century. Now, I haven't read it. I need to do that. I, I mean, I think probably the show didn't do it justice, maybe. Um, but, you know, in, interestingly enough, uh, I've gotten into, we've sort of gotten into a habit since then. I guess we started, I remember one of the first weekends when it actually was locked down, I was like, okay, seems like a really good time to watch Last Man on Earth. <laughs> because everything was shut down and it was like sort of a ghost town outside. So it just seemed appropriate. And I, I don't know about you, but I love all three of those uh, movies based on I Am Legend. I just think yes. the story's awesome. And everybody, some people have quibbles about different story movies. And, you know, all of the, there are some arguments to be made against all of them. But yeah. I think they're all a lot of fun in their own way. But so we watched that. But um, sort of since then, I've got, we've sort of fallen into a habit. Um, of watching several horror movies every weekend, part of which because I've got to do them for spooky reviews for spooky ventures. So I get C DVDs and Blu-rays sent to me to do the reviews ah. of. So um, we usually watch one or two of those and then, you know, one or two other things uh, along the weekend. And um, so I've seen a ton of stuff in the last year or so. Um, and, you know, certain things stand out. I don't, have you seen the, um, Blu-ray reissue of Dunwich Horror. I know we talked about Dunwich Horror last time I was on. So, no, I have not seen the Blu-ray version. I did see a review of it, and someone told me uh, that the uh, the commentary was, was longer and better than the movie. 
<laughs> yeah, the commentary. There is a lot of commentary. There is some. There's one that's based around the music, and then there uh, is one that's just sort of a conversation about Lovecraft and fiction and stuff like mm. that. And then there's another. Uh, you know, and I'm not remembering any of these authors' names, and I should because there are some famous authors doing these. Um, but there's another one that she just strictly talks about you know, the movie itself and how it differs from Lovecraft's yeah. material and stuff. And I thought those were very, very interesting. And yeah, they probably, I don't, I don't think I didn't get through all of the music one, which I should love music stuff, but I, it, he, the, it just sort of lost my interest after a while, a little too much classical music in it. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think it probably does way uh, outshine the, the movie itself. The movie looks great and sounds great in that yeah. in that pressing too. Um, you know, I I thought I don't know I'm one of the people who loves that movie. It's very much like I said in my review of it. They take liberties with the material. Obviously, everybody takes liberties with Lovecraft material, except for the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. But the liberties they take are kind of interesting because they still leave a lot of the, the real cosmic horror in there, you know, with the, the, the old ones and stuff like that, which is stuff that a lot of people don't capture well. And I thought they did a pretty good job of it. Yeah. And in fact, just ironically a week or so ago, DB and I were talking about the show. I'm, I'm not even sure if that one's out. And one scene I just really wanted to bring up was the, the scene where he's a, hypnotizing Sandra D or they're on the they're yes. on the cliff and yeah and he's got the rings yeah, up against yeah. his head I think yeah it, well, and it's superimposed with the waves yes so you can like see through them and see the waves and just you know that's you know brainwashing but also we were kind of speculating maybe they didn't mean it but maybe this version of uh the Watleys have some uh deep one in them Oh, hey, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, that's possible. You know, one of the things I mentioned, you know, it's a product of its time because it was filmed in 69. So it's got a lot of that psychedelic imagery and the psychedelic effects. But I think one of the things I mentioned in my review is that, um, you know, psychedel psychedelia in general was sort of intended to convey things that are outside of our realm of seeing and experiencing into something that we could experience. And so to me, that is like the perfect definition of cosmic horror. You know, it's bringing a visual representation of something that is beyond our mind's ability and our senses ability to see and perceive. So I thought that, you know, using the psychedelic stuff, sure, it was a, a thing of its time, but I thought it really worked well for that. Yeah, no, no. For, for what it is, and, and you know, at I was, oops, R Ralph's commenting. I don't know if you can hear him. <laughs> I hear him, yes. But when I was 14, I was like disappointed when I first saw it because I wanted a shot for shot. Oh, yeah. Adaptation. Now that I'm a little older than 14, uh, <laughs> I can appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. So so kind of getting back to the, the lockdown and and horror, do you think that maybe stressful world, stressful times makes horror resonate with us more? Or? You know, I've read that uh, from psychologists. Um, it's a little bit out of my element to comment on that, except to say, you know, when I formed Tales of Wonder and Dread, 
it was for science fiction and horror. And a lot of the time since I formed it was since COVID hit and everything. And I find that I'm publishing a lot more horror than I am science fiction. So, you know, to me, the science fiction is tends to be, yes, it can be dystopian, but it also tends to be more hopeful, whereas yeah. horror is the dread part of it. And I think that I'm focusing a lot more on that. If I can go back to, to some movies, though, one thing I wanted to mention to you, you talked about Jaws when we were on last time and how yeah. you think it's cosmic horror and, and Lovecraftian. I came up with something yesterday I saw that we watched you know, a lot of, uh, we'll watch the stuff I have to review, but then we watch other stuff uh, on the weekends. And we watched the, the first two Jeepers Creepers movies this last weekend. Okay. And I was thinking, you know, that's almost Lovecraftian if you think about it too, because you have no idea how far back this goes. And he's something, but we don't know what. You know, is he a great old one? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I've always considered... The Creeper, I guess, is what the official name for it right. is. You know, and, and that it is mysterious and it is out of place. So, no, I, I, I agree with you on that one. Yeah, it, it just, I never clicked, it never clicked with me until yesterday. I think partially because I was thinking about we were going to do this and I was sort of thinking about that and uh, I went, you know, Lovecraftian. <laughs> yeah, and no, no, I, I definitely agree with you on, on that. That I think he, uh, he fits in, and maybe maybe not a, maybe not a, a, a great old one, but more of a, a servitor race or something. Right, right. So, so um, just in the, I mean, so you've been watching movies for a long time uh, oh, like yeah. I said myself but have you noticed maybe in the last two decades and in the rise of you know the 21st century um have you noticed um you know any trends in horror movies um it depends on whether you're talking indie horror or you're talking more of the mainstream yeah. stuff if you're talking the mainstream stuff, I think there is, well, one thing I've noticed, there's a tendency in the 80s and 90s, they tended to have a lot more nudity and stuff in there, and it was often gratuitous. Yeah. And to some degree, I think, fortunately, they've gotten away from that, because I thought that sort of, while, you know, I'm not a prude and I didn't dislike the scenes, I thought that they were really not integ integral to the stories and therefore perhaps not necessary Whereas I think they've gotten away from some of that. I do think there's been uh, a leaning in on uh, torture horror, torture porn, whatever you want to call it. And I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah. It's like, you know, torture for the sake of torture isn't really horror. It's just something sort of different. Um, and, and there's definitely been a trend toward that. I think there's also a trend toward uh, youth characters and youth-based films like uh, not teens necessarily, but like early 20s maybe, which I suppose was always sort of a thing, but it almost seems like it's more so. It's like they go out of their way to be hip sometimes, if that makes sense. It, and, and I'm going to throw something out because you just kind of maybe triggered something into me. 
maybe no maybe with the internet and and podcasting and youtubers that maybe youth culture is more mainstream culture yeah and i think that's that's probably true to some degree because you know the youth culture drives a lot of the online culture anyway um and you know so i I think that's probably true it's weird because even you know when i was a kid well teenager and stuff they were sort of for lack of a better word, kissing our butt because we were a huge demographic and, you know, and they knew it was a a demographic that spent money on entertainment. So I suppose there's a certain amount of that always, but I have to wonder now because a lot of people just stream stuff via streaming services. So I don't know how much of a money spending demographic it is. You know, it's like you pay your rental fee and once it's on your streaming channel, you watch it. But that doesn't generate as much money as people going to the theaters or buying physical media to see it. So I don't know. And it's possible, and I don't know, but maybe the the young 20-ish market is is the last of the people that still go to theaters. And that could be, too. I don't know. You know, I, I've given up on theaters myself just because there was an incident with a local theater where they had a bed bug infestation. And then I got searching around and found out that there were all kinds of bug infection infestations in different theaters. And I'm like, you know, I'm not really comfortable sitting in the dark in a theater now. (laughs) And for for a completely different reason than what's on the screen. You know, I kind of get that. And kind of back to your, your thing about, uh, you know, violence and nudity. So my, my general rule is I am okay if a story has, sexuality, uh, profanity, violence, if it moves the plot. Exactly. It has to serve the plot, not just be there for, you know, the purpose of, I don't know, making somebody happy to see that, you know? Yeah. Or or maybe even if it doesn't necessarily move the plot, but it seems organic. Right, right. Real human beings would do that in a a real situation. Right. I, I remember, I can't remember which film it was now, but I remember uh, reviewing one recently and there was a scene where uh, it was these girls just were hanging out at a cabin and decided to basically stand in their underwear and dance for like the length of a song. And it's like, okay, what is the point of this scene? It, it serves nothing to the movie. It's just designed to show, you know, uh, some skin. And that's basically it, you know. And it wasn't being ironic or making social commentary. You know it, it might have been. It might have been a reference to like the '80s horror films. Yeah. It might have been that, because that was something you know you obviously would have seen in those days. Yeah, and and that might be a kind of tricky. We're trying to be subversive and ironic, <laughs> and if you do it almost too well. It, it, the audience doesn't catch on. It just, right, exactly. Now, are there, and we've kind of covered some, are there some maybe some tropes that you really like in horror or really hate in horror? Um, You know, I don't think there are specific tropes. Well, no. You know what? And it's not just horror. It's other stuff. I have, one of the things that will almost always get me is when you have a day that's just sort of going perfectly ordinary and then everything suddenly twists on like a dime 
and I'm thinking of uh, aliens where the Marines were so super confident, and then all of a sudden it just turned around on them almost instantaneously. I'm thinking of Cloverfield, which I just watched yesterday again. And it's like, okay, everything's going great. It's just a normal everyday day. And then all of a sudden everything goes to hell. Um, you know, I, that really, Oh, from dusk till dawn's another one. I, I was going to, I was going to suggest yeah. that if you didn't bring it up Yeah, and the whole movie just twists like within the course of a song. Yeah. And um, I, that is a trope. I, if I guess if it's a trope, it's almost more of a device, but that really will grab me almost every time. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I, other than that, I can't think of any, it all depends on how it's done. You know, some things are done well and you can take a, a overused trope and bring something new to it and suddenly it's fresh again or just do it really well. Um, I was talking with uh, one of my Music Street Journal contributors and we were talking about music and how sometimes a band can do music that, you know, is the same old stuff everybody's heard before, but you do it so well that it doesn't matter that you've heard this kind of stuff before because it's just, it just sort of stands on its own. And the same thing with movie tropes. It's like you, if you do it well enough, it doesn't matter that you've seen this a million times. Absolutely. And, and another thought I was having is, I mean, there's some tropes that I just don't particularly like um, children in danger, but if you do it right, it's okay. And, yeah. And I was thinking almost, you know, maybe I, it, it, instead of it's nudity, profanity, violence, and tropes for <laughs> move the plot. Yes. Then exactly. They're okay. And I guess I kind of get into this where I just break things down like Lego blocks into tropes. But, you know, I, I think maybe it's the finished product. It's not necessarily the the sum, the sum of the parts. Right. And, you know, I have trouble, as somebody who writes fiction, too, I have trouble watching a movie without thinking, well, here's how I would have written that, yeah. you know? And so it, it, it can get in the way of just watching the movie, enjoying it sometimes. But, you know, and, and, and I use tropes myself. I think everybody does to some degree. Sometimes I like when people turn them on their heads, too. Like, um... Yeah. I, I you lost swear words on here. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Fine. There's a movie recently I reviewed called "Don't Fuck in the Woods 2. I don't know if you've seen it. I have not. I, I have not even seen the first one. Okay, I haven't seen the first one either. But I actually interviewed the the filmmaker uh, for the movie Animal Inside, which was another one he did, which is a werewolf okay. film. But then we did. Uh, I I got reviewed "Don't Fuck in the Woods 2. And what I liked, one of the things I really liked about that movie was that they took the slasher film uh, tropes where people having sex get killed and they completely turned it on its head because there was a real reason why that was happening. That was that it was supernatural or alien or something. And it turned it into a monster movie. And the funny thing was, at one point, or actually a couple points, he actually had the characters say something about that. Oh, don't go out there and have sex in the woods because that's how you get killed. And I mean, so I I loved how he actually addressed the trope and then turned it around. And 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 again, it's kind of a, a trope. But one of my favorite is you know uh, 
uh, genre savvy that they the characters know. Oh yeah, the tropes, but the, but it doesn't apply here. It's real life, but it's right, right. About. So, um, got a, This is sort of our signature question. I'm sure I asked you this last time, but also if you could be in charge of any one creative project and don't have to worry about, uh, you know, uh, finances, you don't have to worry about copyrights, any medium, you get whatever staff you need. What's your dream project? Well, probably for me, I mean, for one thing, you know, I, when I write uh, fiction, I tend to see it as a film anyway. So everything that I write, I see as a, as a movie. So if I had the skill set and the finances, I would be a movie maker. Um, and I think for me, I would probably want to do my, my wizard song universe, which is my, a science fiction fantasy book that I did. I'm working on the sequel. I think I would probably want to do that. But the second one, um, I published uh, a book, A Girl's Got to Eat by Elizabeth Lynn Blackson. And it was absolutely my favorite book to read last year, too. Mm. And I would, it's part of a trilogy. We were getting ready to release the second book, which is called Old Black Water. And um, I would love to see those done as movies, too, um, because they're just so good. They're not quite horror. They're a little urban fantasy, a little horror, a little science fiction, action adventure, but they're just so good. Oh, excellent. So I would love to do either one or both of those if I had the option. Excellent. Now, do, uh, do you have maybe any other projects that are going on that, uh, that you're in a position that you can talk about uh, now or in the near future? Well, I've always got a ton of books I'm working on putting together. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, Tales of Wonder and Dread this fall will turn five years old. Oh. And I'm, I'm being an idiot here, and I'm going to publish five books on that day at one on one day. So I'm going to have five books to get together at, at all at the same time, which is not going to be the greatest fun, but at least it'll be cool. Um, and then um, I'm also working... I started a couple of years ago. Um, I, you know, there's an old tradition of spooky stories for Christmas. Yeah. And so I came up with the whole put the spooky back into Christmas. And it's sort of been a thing that I've been pushing for a while. Well, this winter, I'm working on an event locally that'll be all about put the spooky back into Christmas with several authors there and hopefully some artisans with stuff out there. So I'm working on that. And that'll um, be a, a physical event. That'll be a physical event in the Rock in Rockford, Illinois. Um, I've also for for spooky people. I'm also got planned for this fall, probably early September. I'm hoping to release on Bandcamp a charity album of all spooky music from different people. So that should be uh -huh. something pretty cool. S spooky and spooky in nature, or spooky like uh, like movie spooky like. Um, hopefully, you know, it all depends on what people send in. Um, I'm going to, um, I've got a version of uh, Eric or music of Eric Zahn that I'm going to probably use. And I've actually had in mind, I've been going to record a, a version of piece that I've got in my head called The Outsider uh, based on the Lovecraft story. And I may have that ready in time. We'll see. I just haven't gotten 
I actually recorded a version, but the sound quality was bad, so I didn't wind up doing anything with it, but I want to re-record it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it all depends on what people send in, uh, what we wind up with. But yeah, generally spooky music. It'll be for, you know, Halloween time. So I hopefully it'll be something people can listen to at that time of year. Oh, awesome. Well, definitely. And when you get those done, let us know and send us links and we'll make sure that we have the, the links posted for you. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'll be glad to come on and talk about any of this stuff too down the road. And, Oh, absolutely. We're going to definitely have you on. We're not going to wait as long as we did uh, between the last time and, and this time. So Okay, definitely. great. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I was going to say have a great day, but maybe uh, have a spooky day might be more appropriate. There you go. Or as my, my tagline always is, keep it spooky. <laughs> yeah. Dave and DB go to the movies. Dave and DB go. Hello, everyone. We are back. And Dave and I watched a movie. I, I, I ended up watching two movies. I, I, uh, I watched Cabin in the Woods. And then I was like, oh, man, I love horror movies. I'm going to watch another horror movie. And then I watched uh, Green Room. And I was like, whoa, that was intense. And I'm like, oh. okay, I, I'm done with horror movies for the day. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen Green Room yet. I've got some friends who have friends that worked on it. Uh-huh. But but John Luke Picard as a uh, sadistic Nazi. Oh, man. Yeah, no. Patrick Stewart is a hell of an actor. You believe it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no. There's a lot of really good people in uh, Green Room, but we're not talking about Green Room. We are talking about Cabin in the Woods 2011 Lion Gate picture uh there's a bunch of people in it is there anyone famous in that movie oh yes in fact that's one of the big things at the end as well as i'm going to talk about one of my favorite female character actors okay so but before i do this we got to do the spoilers all right and so i'm it's you know it's what 12 year old movie it's a 12 year old movie and so I think the big spoiler is the famous person in the movie, which is, those who haven't seen her, you're plugging your ears, Sigourney Weaver. Oh, yeah. 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 No, no. I I also feel like we're going to spoil the heck out of this movie due to the fact that, like, the first part of the movie is people talking inside of a laboratory or some sort of security laboratory area <laughs> yes <laughs> and then goes to a bunch of college students uh <laughs> i'm not sure where this is supposed to take place but i you know i'm, I'm thinking any town usa exactly um, you know it's it, it could easily take place in minnesota as it could in outside of astoria uh oregon or i don't know uh the Jersey Pine Barrens. I mean, uh, any any place there's like, you know, lakes and hills and cabins and woods. Heck, it could take place in a little cabin outside of ten- in, in, in Tennessee that burnt down during the production of The Color Purple. So that's 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 the cabin from uh, Evil Dead. Evil Dead. Yeah. Yeah. That cabin burnt down 
during the production of uh, the color purple. It was being I did not know that as 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 a roadhouse. But yeah, Um, or at least that's what I've read. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong on all fronts. Uh, (laughs) So before we go very far, I wanted to talk about one of my favorite all time actresses is in this movie. Sure. Amy Acker. Okay. Amy Acker is probably one of the greatest female character actors. Mainly does TV. Yeah. Uh, she was Fred, the the scientist in the last couple seasons of Angel. Uh, she was the last season of um, oh of uh, Alias. She was uh, the evil uh, spy friend. Um, she was the doctor in Sierra in Dollhouse. Uh, she was the possessed demon, uh, the demon that possesses Scooby-Doo's dog girlfriend and some of the Scooby-Doo shows. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and she plays perfect role for her. She plays like the the semi-nerdy, kind of hot uh, tech advisor that uh, keeps on bumping in and talking to the two uh, government bureaucrats that are doing this and as far as I'm concerned, anything that's got Amy Acker in it is better. We need more Amy Acker in our life. Sure, sure. No, no. Uh, she was the person from Chemistry? Yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, no, there's there's a lot of great ca- uh, uh, character actors in here, and not just people who have uh, appeared in Joss Whedon stuff. Mm. Uh, there's this one guy who always just kind of played like handsome dumb guys and things or like yeah. athletic guys and yeah. up playing Kurt in this. Uh, then then a little bit later, I, I can't remember if it was before this or after this, he played Mr. Fantastic or no, no, Johnny Storm. And then ended up playing uh, uh, Captain America. Chris Helmsworth played Kurt. But yeah, he's he's in this. It's 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 our link to comic books. <laughs> I, I know I, I I know that the Chris's are a little confusing. Yes. But I think that's Thor. Chris Chris Helmsworth. Oh, I, I mixed Hemsworth. Thor up with Captain America. I know it's the Chris's and there's too many Chris's in comic book stories. Okay, so Chris Helmsworth is Thor. I think Thor. Yeah. Okay. All right. I can't tell. He's it's like he's too young to like actually have like that Thor face yet. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, no, a lot of great people. Uh, Really a big fan of uh, Richard Richard Jenkins and Bradley uh, Whitford, who played uh, Citizen and Hadley, the two uh, guys in the lab that are taking bets that are are uh, kind of like being i don't want to say like the greek chorus but they're kind of like doing all the main info dump stuff the bureaucrats of doom yeah and they're doing it mostly for tom link aka ronald the intern and brian white as truman yes and the audience and the audience and the audience but yeah but yeah no this is a really great movie it sets up uh, a bunch of teens, uh, like late teens, early twenties, 
Uh, you get the idea that they all go to state together, that they've been friends for a really long time. Some of them have been friends since like the beginning of college. Um, at one point in time, I was like, is Kristen Connolly's character and Frank or Fran uh, Kranz's character, that's Dana and Marty, for those who are playing at home, uh, are they supposed to be brother and sister? Like, how do these people know that people? And Holden's Kurt's friend from a guy who just transferred out of state. And anyway, long story short, Kurt has an RV. Kurt's cousin has a cabin in the woods that he just purchased. Ooh, I know. And it starts with uh, Kristen Connolly, played by Dana. Uh, her windows are wide open and she's standing in her underwear. It's 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 like she's taller than the windows and she's standing in her underwear. And then someone has to remind her towards the end of the scene, you're in your underwear, dummy. And then she's like, oh, my goodness. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, they kind of set up who every character is. And uh, Anna Hutchinson is the fun, flirty friend who has, like, just dyed her hair blonde. And uh, Kristen Connolly asks uh, Dana, uh, has to be told to leave her books. And Kurt's all like, yeah, I play football. And then uh, Jesse Williams, who plays Holden, is like, oh, yeah, I totally play football, too. And then Marty uh, pulls up smoking a bong in a uh what turns out to be a collapsible coffee mug and just kind of like oh i'm the stoner buddy yeah and everyone loads up into the rv and they take off to the cabin in the woods i'll let you cover it for a little bit here there dave so i kind of approached it a little bit different sure um and but we are getting to one of my favorite scenes here gotcha and, and the thing, though, and we were talking at this end, so I didn't really focus on, on the, the story per se. Okay. It, but this is a this is a movie of tropes. Oh, yeah. No, it this is a total movie of tropes. And, and so I, you know, you, I think, got a better overview of what the story is. Sure. What comes to one of my favorite scenes, you know, is that this trope of the harbinger. Yeah, the guy at the gas station, and he gives him the creepy warning. Mordecai. Yeah, and that part's okay. It's then he calls the base. Yeah, and is am I on speakerphone? Am I on speakerphone? They're just laughing, and they, yeah. no, no, no. You know, and this guy, he still has a broken character. He's still got this, you know, harbinger over the phone. Yeah, yeah, and, and he, I just rolled during that scene. Yeah, no, because he totally is, like, all about the ancient ones, but also he's mad about being on speakerphone, and that's that's that was fun. That was fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's all kinds of tropes. There's, like, everyone picking out their rooms and finding out there's something weird with the cabin, uh, checking out underneath the, in, in, in the root cellar and finding something that doesn't quite belong there. And a lot of things that don't shouldn't belong there. Yeah, in this case, for for the story, there's a lot of things down there. Uh, <laughs> a bit too many, if you ask me. And um, so 
at this point now, we're being told by the people in the facility elsewhere that these people have to choose their own fate. Kind of, you know, like yeah, I was going to say a stay puff marshmallow man, uh, choose and perish. It's up to them to choose their own fate. Everyone's betting in the facility on what's going to happen, who's going to uh, choose. I mean, not who's going to choose what, but what's going to be chosen. Is it going to be zombies? Is it going to be a merman? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? And it's it's all kinds of things making references to all kinds of different movies. Everything from uh, like very similar to Evil Dead type stuff to uh, I want to say Hellraiser and just the hills just, have eyes the hills have eyes um all kinds of stuff it's 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 I I watched it yesterday just to be fresh on it and yeah no no there is an amazing amount of detail and all these different things and there's items you can you can go on YouTube I did this a couple years back there was a a uh, thing on YouTube, uh, someone made a video where they figured out all the various monsters in uh, Cabin in the Woods and linked them to the various items and like was like, these are all the things that we think could be linked and this person and that person and this thing and that thing. And we don't know what this is, but we don't know what that is. And we know that we have this, so we assume that is for that. And it's it's just kind of a, a fun, like, figuring out what all was there kind of thing. Yeah, and so there, Cabin in Wood has its own wiki. Yeah, yeah. Which is really fun. And it names off, there's about 40, 50 monsters there. From mm. this and the promotional stuff, from the movie promotional stuff. Um, so absolutely. And that is a rabbit hole. Yeah. And that is just this rabbit hole. And, and maybe sometime when, uh, we don't have a, uh, oh, a guest that it'll be a rabbit hole. Take the audience down. Oh but, yeah. Oh yeah. If you want to just have some fun, mm-hmm. just Type in Monsters Cabin in the Wood Wiki. That's okay. just a blast. All right. Do you have a favorite monster? I have favorite monsters. Okay. Well, uh, who, 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 which are your favorite monsters? Oh, it's got to be the mermaid. It's got to be the mermaid. It's got to be the mermaid. <laughs> mermaid. But at the same point, I also love in the background, there's like this 50-foot woman stuck in a cube. Oh, weird. I didn't. There's a lot of just stuff that's flashed that you, you know, you blink or you miss it. That's just great. There's this uh, yellow uh, robot with a blade saw that as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, my goodness, that is that is my favorite monster of all of these. You know, and uh, there was, um, you know, it's in the background. You only see them on the cubes, but there's a like a wingless Cthulhu. Oh, you know, and, and of course they I mean, they based a lot of this on Lovecraft, the outer gods. But, yeah, yeah. you know, if somebody was doing like a an SCP or uh, a, uh, you know, uh, D20 modern, uh-huh. 
and they wanted to make a monster manual. Yeah. That they could just make a monster manual off of all of these creatures because they're <laughs> definitely every you know they have a they have one on the on the board I think it says it's Kevin uh-huh and, and for a long time people thought it was Kevin from Sin City uh-huh but I guess there's a an obscure movie about a kid that turns into a slasher called We Need to Talk About Kevin oh okay, okay. so there's just yeah it just we're probably gonna have to do an entire episode on the monsters in the oh, yeah. in the base. Yeah, we'll figure that out at some point in time. Um, and and okay, so they select a monster. We're not gonna go into that. We'll let you figure out who they pick if you haven't watched it. But the whole basic concept is there's a ritual that has to take place every year. There's multiple places all over the world doing this. And once the ritual takes place, and I think the ritual's different in each different country, but they need at least one or different parts of the world, but they need at least like one of these rituals to happen. Absolutely. And each of these different different rituals are based on that geographical area's horror movie trends. Yeah. Yeah. And we we hear things about things going bad in Scandinavia but things are going on you know things are going well in Japan and <laughs> so, so so yeah bad is kind of this thing it's bad that these these school girls came together with love and defeated the demon that's yes. bad because the demon's going to wipe out the earth yeah but it's kind of good for the school girls yeah yeah no, and uh, that's the whole kind of premise of it. And, you know, I, I feel like we can tell you that part and there's enough left that we don't tell you that, yeah, no, you, you know Sigourney Weaver's in it, but it's not a spoiler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and she's also in a, she also plays the head honcho of an evil governmental agency in a mo- movie a year before in Paul. Oh, I don't. Have you ever seen Paul? I may have. Well, spoiler: the big bad Sigourney Weaver. I'm still waiting for her to be like secretly uh, a, a member of 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 a clone of Waylon Utani and. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but yeah, no, Cabin in the Woods. It's a great movie. It's a great horror movie. It's a great comedy. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's scary and fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if they ever made a sequel to it, they would have to do a summer camp. <laughs> so, and again, spoilers, it, it, it seems like the world is destroyed in it. Yeah. But not necessarily. But my understanding is that Cabin in the Woods 2 mm-hmm. is in development hell. Oh, so I know okay. they were working on it, but... Uh, until 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 Josh Whedon speaks, I'm going to say that the world probably got destroyed at the end. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that's that's cabin in the woods. Yeah. Good. We, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would definitely say if you haven't watched it, it, it's worth it to watch it in so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is like. Anyone who I know who loves horror loves this movie. People I know who like only like one or two specific horror movies love this horror movie. People who love Evil Dead really like this horror movie 
or they go, it's trying to rip off Evil Dead, and then you have to go, duh. Yeah, I know you <laughs> want to wrap this up, but it, it 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 is a parody. Yes. But it, at the same point, it's a a loving homage too. Oh yeah, yeah, no, so, no, certainly, and, certainly, and maybe it's, not such a parody as sort of like, uh, of uh, satire. Or I was thinking um, Michael Myers spies um, Austin Power. It's not like Austin Power level parody. No. But it's Austin Power's level loving homage. Yeah. That makes sense. So it's, yeah, yeah. It, the parody part's subtle and tropes, mm-hmm. but it, it definitely, it doesn't, it's not making fun of the movies it's taking from. It, it's, it's honoring them and yeah, on. no, it's 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 and, like, and having a little fun. Honestly, the concept of it kind of reminds me of like Rosencrantz and Gilderstern are dead meets uh, 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 Evil Dead. It's like you could almost see it happening. Like, all right, cue cue, cue the. <laughs> cue the deadites. All right, and, and, and the deadites right, show let up. Henrietta they're, out. They're, there's that? deadites. There's deadites in, in in the final purge scenes. Yeah. And there's also reavers from um, uh, Firefly. Okay. So huh. yeah, you, you you name it, and and they're in it. Yeah. So yeah. definitely a movie. Definitely a movie that's worth watching, freeze framing, and then you know try to name all the different monsters yeah or make or all the different allusions they make to different movies and different cartoon shows and different tropes in television and movies regarding teens in the woods and college students and all that kind of stuff but yeah absolutely all right Well, everyone, thank you again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I have been your host, D.B. Spitzer. To my virtual right, David Heath, as always. And have yourself a great week, and we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, see you then. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. That was a good episode. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I think next one will be good, too. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, I got to answer the phone, but I will talk to you later, Dave. And okay, I've got I got Gary go. Hill recording already. So excellent, and I'll go feed some goats. All right, have a good one. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. <laughs>